Welcome to But Why Though, the podcast, a roundtable conversation about all things pop culture with members of the But Why Though writing staff. I'm your host, Alex, and I'm joined this week again by Matt. Hello. And Kate. Hi. This week, we are going to be talking about like game longevity. Is that a good, succinct way to say it? Yeah. Yeah, just the the idea that games last a little bit longer now, not in terms of like sheer hours, but also how long they are actively supported as products with content coming out. I mean, we um, talked about development cycles. We've talked about launches, good and bad, and now we can talk about yeah. post-launch. <laughs> it's huge. It's actually, if anything, the bulk of the experience of playing the game is post-launch. Yeah. Uh, but before we get into that, we do want to discuss the news, and there's always a lot going on, so we're just going to talk about a few things, maybe just one thing, which is uh, everybody getting laid off. Um, who who let people go and how many? Do we got hard numbers on this? Oh, gosh. There aren't hard numbers, but I do know it was about 2,000 last week. If you count the 900 from Epic, everything that happened at Creative Assembly, Ubisoft, uh, who else was there? Oh, yeah, Hearthstone, particularly within Blizzard. Then you also, before that, had the whole shuttering of a studio called Volition, from Deep Silver, you also mm-hmm. had Striking Distance that did layoffs. You have high res that did restructuring. Depends on how far back you want to go. It's, it's um, There's back. also Twitch, Naughty Dog, Team 17, Riot, uh, Bioware, Crystal Dynamics. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting some, depending on how far we want to go back. But I know there was some at Microsoft and everything else. But yes, yeah. those Which... were recent ones that I remember. Yeah, and I I think the crazy thing with all of this is it's, you know, a lot of these are like, these aren't small studios having to shutter. Like, Naughty Dog made Last of Us. They're riding the high of an HBO show. They have, you know, active interest. They just released a remaster of their game. Um, And so if a company that big is just like, actually, screw it, we're laying people off. Like, it feels like job security in the gaming industry. Like, to me, it feels threatened. Like, Well, so that's the thing is like, And I don't know for those listening to this if they know, but like gaming jobs is my job now. And I have to look at these people all of the time. But the thing is, is before games, I was in tech. It's just replicating the tech model for layoffs. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. Because games people don't want to admit that they're tech workers. And these game studios, especially the ones that are owned by a larger AAA studio, are being treated like properties owned by large tech companies, which means Mm -hmm. you expand them for exponential growth. And the moment you start not to be exponential, you slash everything because that's just what they do. Oh, and Telltale today, that also happened. Oh, did it? It happened about like two hours before this recording. Oof. Okay, good to know. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's what's happening. It's replicating the tech layoff cycle. The reason they did it in tech was to reset worker salary and erode workers' rights. So that's uh, that's what's happening right now, and it's bad. Um, yeah, it's it's real rough. And I, I actually hadn't heard about some of the ones that you guys rattled off. Like, I knew probably 60% of them, and, like, Crystal Dynamics was off my radar, and they did Tomb Raider, and they've done a few other things, right? yeah. And they've done yeah. more. Like Embracer has already said that there that massive restructuring has already been underway and is coming out even further. Um, Embracer are the ones who shuttered all of Volition. Like I mean, an entire studio mm-hmm. close. So yeah, consolidate which, and, that, and cut. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, it's which, yeah. real bad. It's so yeah. It's, it's, job security has never been a thing. <laughs> it's especially yeah, ne- not a never thing has right been. now. 
and yeah, is especially threatened. And I think it's also interesting because there are other companies that don't necessarily do big layoffs, but they thrive on contractors instead of actual employees, um, which is just a whole other separate issue and also creates weird hierarchies within the company. I think Nintendo's a little bit famous for this at their um, Washington uh, office of what, what color is your badge, I think is mm -hmm. what it comes down to. Yeah, it's just like Alex. What? Like a tech company. Yeah, all like tech companies. Yeah. <laughs> Look, all, all gaming. They're just they're just tech company, but they're like, well, we do art and passion, and so therefore we're not tech companies. Yeah. Like, like no. that. That's like the scary thing. Like when you step back and look at it from like a recruiting mm -hmm. standpoint, and like the types of things that they try to sell you on to go work in games are the exact same types of things that they try to sell you on to go work in tech. The Cereal only bar and scooters? Well, no, the only, that, that, that's not what they tried to sell you on in tech, <laughs> I wish. Um, but the only difference, like Matt said, is that because they can tie it to a creative process and a passion, yep. they can exploit it a bunch more. Because it's nobody's passion to make an app. Um, no, other than but it's like, your passion sucks. to make a game exactly to make art yeah and, and that that is what they exploit that's the reason why game like not only is the games industry like wholesale laying off studios and people but their people are already paid 15 to 25 percent below market value that their skills would get in the actual wider market because of passion and art so you're here because you love it. You're here for the mission. You're here for, yeah, anything but the paycheck. Yep. And it's, yeah, it's a, it's a real bad state. And, uh, but why though is very much a pro workers rights website. Um, and so this is all incredibly frustrating. And also, I mean, just as people who play games and who love games, it's incredibly frustrating to see the exploitation and abuse and like this cycle of layoffs and all that is just like, don't do this to the people who make the things that we like. And also it should be noted, this is being done by people who had basically nothing to do with the things that we like. Mm-hmm. Corporate greed. Yep. Um, but I guess on positive union news, WGA got their deal. Um, everyone seems pretty happy about it. Um, Kaiser is on strike, so going to support healthcare workers. Uh, uh, United Auto Workers are on strike, and I'm going to support those boys and girls. Uh and video game actors on? have the ability to strike yes now they've authorized a strike through. yep um all the i think disney people. animators oh yeah animation yeah disney yes. animators are trying to unionize they voted unanimously to do so mm -hmm. come on uh, engineers you can do it i believe in you i need yep. software engineers to unionize like wholesale Seriously. like tech gaming like if you are a software engineer regardless of your space come together and unionize i know you get paid a lot but you could help a lot of people. But, but unionize, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Which I will say, like, this is a scary thing about the games layoffs is in tech, the engineers were the safest and they weren't usually gone until round two or three. Games does not care. Games is letting go of HR marketing, like, at a record pace, the same way tech was. But oh, they're also letting go of their actual quote-unquote skilled pieces they need to make things just that's in the why hopes that they'll scarier. hire new people for less mm -hmm. gotcha and Which... return to office baby yeah oh and Which return to office yeah gotta save mm -hmm. that corporate uh was it real estate here we go yeah which i mean i don't know maybe let real estate people drown and let other people work from home and be happy yes 
I'm for letting a lot of people drown, but we should move I'm on. I'm all for redistribution of wealth. This is now a, a socialist podcast, and that's all we're going to talk about the rest of this episode. Look, Alex, it always has been. <laughs> I, but we haven't given it a whole episode. So that's everything going on in the news. Oh, also, if you didn't see some of the, some if not all of the writers on Drew Barrymore's show are refusing to return. It's so which good. is like good for them. Very, good for them. It's it's a very genuinely like strong and principled stand to be like you tried to return without us, so we are not coming back. We'll figure it out. I hope more people do that. Like it sucks, and mm-hmm. I know it's a hard thing to do. But the more people say, just kind of, I won't return to work, and yeah. Don't return to the production that tried to say we don't need you. Don't return like, to the game studio that just let you down. Don't return yeah. to anything. Don't return to all of them. And eventually we'll Absolutely. figure it out. Um, but moving on from that and getting deeper into games, now for the main segment, longevity of games, development cycles, launch, post-launch. Um, Matt, you had, there were two inciting incidents very recent that inspired this for you. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Okay, well, obviously, we had the launch of Starfield, which, for everybody who knows, um, I know it's a controversial stance. Uh, I've been playing a lot of it and enjoying it, but between Starfield and they've already talked about anybody who knows anything about the game and the launch, they were talking about, like, this is going to be like a five to ten year cycle. Anybody who's ever played a Bethesda game knows these games are usually, you know, lots of content, lots of updates, mm-hmm. lots of mods, blah, blah. And then we had the Cyberpunk. Lots of re-releases? Or is that not part of the five to ten years? You know, at this point, I have no idea. <laughs> and i don't know i played the new skyrim one it's actually pretty good i mean vanilla still great yeah. but like having it updated for new consoles not the worst thing in the world oh, totally. it's still dumb i need my morrowind but point being and then the other part of like kind of the weird part of we have this cyberpunk 2077 which kind of came out three years ago we kind of forget it so long ago and then obviously had a horrible launch kind of did it had an anime with some help and some content some updates and blah blah, blah. Mm-hmm. and they decided they're kind of just they're done with the game they launched their new their last expansion of Phantom Liberty. Apparently people love it. Apparently they've re, you know, done some mechanics. I would also like stuff. to put their first and last expansion. It's no, I thought they had another they... one, didn't they? No, that's the only one. I they think that's just the one. Yeah, yeah it's oh, the one. Yeah, they've done my content conspiracy. updates, but they okay, haven't done the expansions. Other one. No. Okay, my bad. So I was going to say, my, my kind of conspiracy with that is that now that they've done some expansions and they've done a deal, like a DLC, like, you know, not just little add-ons, that is well received and has sort of saved the reputation of the game. They're just moving on before anybody, you know, before it potentially gets worse or before anyone remembers how it launched, like sort of like reputation damage control. That is an interesting conspiracy, but yes, apparently the one giant expansion plus the mini content updates. And they're like, we're done. We're going to move on to cyberpunk 2772 apparently. Um, and so is that actually the next project? Uh, I don't know if it's completely their next project, but that is where they're. It's set going. in the same world, right? Yeah. Like it's, oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, that that is weird, and I see how both of those things happening back to back kind of brought you to this point of like, well, why do? Well, because they're all, yeah, but also we're also kind of they're not they're the same game, but they're kind of the same. They're large, open world, a lot of dialogue, mm-hmm. a lot of characters, a lot of progressional stuff, a lot of RPG aspects, a lot of chances for content, huge things, you know, very yeah. lingering things. So, yes, that's kind of what just kind of set this on. Yeah, because it's, I mean, historically, like, obviously the internet was the tipping point for all video games where you could fix things after the fact. You could add content after the fact. Um, And early on, that's all it was really used for was, like, what, patching? And, like, how long was it before we actually got, like, anything resembling DLC, you know? 
Um, like even like Halo Two multiplayer was a physical disc that you went and bought at the store. Uh, I mean, I guess it depends. Expansion. I guess it depends on how we define DLC because PC games technically mm. have been having expansions before, but still with the internet. Oh, that's true. Yeah, but they were also um, like it was what we think of an expansion then versus now are also to complete from different things. Oh They're yeah, like how like many a, expansions did Destiny get? I have no idea. It's like I mean it was a, it was a lot where it was like hey here's a whole new campaign to play through here's are a whole we talking new... Destiny one or Destiny two that is now just Destiny, Destiny. which also oh, we Destiny can kind of yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of which would be in here of kind of reference which was going to be a good counterpoint of in eventually talking about of why is there a Destiny two and what it looks like now versus what it, what happened to Destiny one versus we call it Destiny I guess now yeah it's the it's the um very slight permutations rather than an actual update to the game. Right. So yeah. obviously for my, what I was thinking of was probably like these Starcraft expansions and mm-hmm. uh, everything else. Okay. So all this to say, it brings us to kind of where I'm thinking about, we talk, cause when you think you hear the dreaded live service games, you've heard people hate it. Mm-hmm. We get why you hate it. We obviously, you know, there's reasons, which I guess for those of you who don't know what a live service game, I guess the best definition I could, find or reasonably come up with would be video games that are designed to be continually updated and expanded with new content features and functionality um we understand it's also known as games as service correct yeah Yeah. um which is funny because bethesda explicitly always seems to leave out calling their games live service games um Mm -hmm. whether because the term is very negative connotated or not who knows but uh Basically, we know there's a lot of negativity about this, you know, because there's battle passes, there's seasons, you have annual release games with battle passes, you have Diablo, where apparently just to play the game every year, you have to pay like a 50 to $100, you know, some of the, we talked, we mentioned Destiny 1, how a lot of the content was gated, where you, we saw it, but we couldn't do it until they were releasing it, and so there was a lot of, you know, bad stuff, but, you know, for every quote-unquote bad live service game, we have other games that are technically live service games with updates, but they're also relatively good and we have both mm-hmm. either from a redemption standpoint or just how they've done the game <clears throat> for better or worse you have like no man's sky which was terrible even you could argue cyberpunk 2077 to a little extent but maybe no man's sky now the game's going on seven years fallout 76 has like eight yeah. updates after a terrible launch um basically arc even looking at you cannot fallout for the launch compared to how these games ended and where they are you know every paradox game you go with terrible launch versus mm-hmm. thing and we've kind of done this whole thing of like with some of these games, a MMO type support, but for like single player to casual MMO type games, or I guess co-op player games with season pass, like Anno has five years of content, but I don't know if you consider, you know, stuff, but also the big part of like one doing these games, but also kind of when we're talking about specifically of Todd Howard, when they're uh, kind of just a quote I wanted to pull from his thing, what he mentioned when they're doing development of Starfield, they kind of learned from the data of all their previous games that, Players weren't just playing their game for a long, long time, which is kind of how we got to there with Skyrim because people didn't want to stop playing mm-hmm. it. But the main thing what they realized is people were playing like single character saves or like one single character for like 500, 600, 700 hours. And so it wasn't mm-hmm. like like a Mass Effect or God of War where you come back, you replay the whole game, you come back, do whatever, and then replay it. No, these are like literally just single character saves that were continuations of just doing more and more and more. Bam. And so all that to kind of get into where we were going. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think I guess my, my very first question is kind of like, what's your experience with this sort of game? And 
how do you feel about it? Like, do you, in, do you like it, not like it? Is it highly dependent on the game, which is probably the answer? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's really, it's highly dependent on game type, I think. It, it, it's weird, and I, I've been, because Matt and I have, like, been talking about this for a while, and I've kind of been trying to come up with where I am on it. And I don't think I like it as much because I think that it breaks down development cycles into like tidbits that get strung out. But I do think that there are some games, game types that don't use the live service model that absolutely should use the live service model just in order to be a better game and get rid of <laughs> some of like the issues each iteration of it has. Um, and so like, it is one of those things where like, I don't think Bethesda games should be live service games, but then when you actually think about it, instead of re-releasing Skyrim six times, what if they re-released, what if they added like 10 expansion packs to it or yeah. something? And then it's, and then it just, it, it kind of turns it into something different. So like, I don't necessarily think that expansions and DLC make something life, live service, but I do think that as gaming progresses, progresses and people put more, our developers put more thought into like post-launch um, roadmaps, you're looking at something where like live service is just becoming the norm. And I, I don't really know how I feel about it because like I kind of don't hmm. want it. Like the Guardians of the Galaxy game, I don't need anything. It is fine the way it nope. is. Exactly. Does not yeah. need anything extra. God of War doesn't need anything extra. Play the game just as it is. And I think that for me, perhaps it's that like open world games are probably a very good space to do consistent like they are in an MMO. Like the reason you want an MMO to be live, like constantly updating is because you just want to keep playing. Like you said, Matt or Todd Howard said that same character. Cause you build that investment. But I feel mm -hmm. like it, it's, I don't know, live service just doesn't feel like the right word for it. I, so I, I totally agree, agree, but I don't think it's the right wise. word. Yeah, my bad. I, I agree. I don't think it's the right word. I just don't know what to call it anymore yeah. because it is very much like I've always, people who've listened to me and Timmy Taco, I love live service games. I said it before and they're like, well, how dare you? And I'm like, because when I think of live service games, this is the type of games that I'm thinking of. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. it's funny, because, like, an Anno, which is not even like an MMO, but, like, gets five years of new extended contents and quality of life updates. A Paradox game getting tons of DLC. You know, a Planet Zoo getting just more and more animals. Like, yeah. they're getting new content. They're getting new parts, updates, new quality of life, different changes in mechanics and feedback. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if it is completely what you consider life service, but they are getting yeah. new, almost by the definition, concept-wise. Yeah, I mean, to use a probably way too similar term, I think it's more like these are living games. Like, it's evolving, it's changing, it's it's going. It's not a live, it's not a service. Like, taking that idea out of it, because I feel like live service to me is like Battle Royales, MMOs. Well, because like, the service piece like is it servicing like a multi, right. a multi, like a, a multiplayer yeah. service, essentially, is exactly. what Exactly, and is. so, yeah, service just feels like it doesn't belong in there, but then you're left with like living games and that doesn't, that's not any better. But it is something of like active support, continuous support, something like that. Yeah. Um, makes a little bit more sense because, and, and also is something that like, I think largely for the right games, I'm in favor of. Yeah. It's kind of like, 
is there more we can do with what we have done as and that's why i said like open world like large sandbox games like that really works for and not even that i think some story games too like i know spider-man got dlc as well yeah um, it was great because there's just spider-man has a lot of villains he can fight like that that's a constant pipeline Mm -hmm. of of dlc if you do it right um i think it's just interesting now i guess kind of like matt putting it in perspective when i'm like kind of thinking of the games that i've played that either have existing roadmaps have content that they're putting out afterwards doing expansions doing like community feedback and then building a roadmap from it and i feel like that number has gotten a lot higher i will say though like if we do think about like um the cyberpunk of it all I think it is just let's distance ourselves from bad launch because even when people were praising Phantom Liberty, the start of all of their reviews was Cyberpunk really sucked when it launched. I'm happy it's good now. Um, I know, I listened that- to a podcast about it and they literally started with just like, it's good now. Yeah. Like, and and, and like, that's, like, oh, the, oh, that's no. not something you want for your brand. So well, I mean, now that it's good, they'll probably go and do Cyberpunk 2087 and 2087 has five years of live content. Well, that's funny because you mentioned that of like one playing Starfield of like, I don't care how good Darfield or what it ends up with, I will always remember this game mm-hmm. launched with no maps and it is still the most insane senile thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, I, don't, I, I, I just need to know the decision making of you made no maps. Um, but to, to, to kind of go past Todd, that. Of, why didn't you give them maps? Why is there no maps? Um, but no, the point of this game had my itch to go back to play uh, Fallout and I decided let's just check out 76 because another game that I had actually bought at launch with Kate um, Kate, I think, plays a total of two hours in this game because it was so broken we could not actually play with each other. And this was like a month and a half after launch, even with three updates. And so we gave up. And then so it's been five years. Everybody tells me, kind of like that your podcast, Alex, it's good. And you know what? I went back and played it. I remember some of the stuff. I've been playing it for a little bit. I'm enjoying it. it it's a lot more lively. There's NPCs, which is weird yeah. doing some of the quests, I remember, because <laughs> there's like NPCs. It doesn't feel lonely because there's no... <laughs> I remember there was oh, yeah. nobody there. You just ran in this desolate, empty wasteland of nothing, and you hoped you sound a person who wasn't an asshole. And that so, was it. Yeah. I I do think because so I also started because Mass Effect has DLCs. Like there are a lot of Mass Effect DLCs. I've played them yeah. all. They were great. I got new characters. It was awesome. And because of their relationship system, I wanted new characters so I could explore more on my other playthroughs. So it was kind of like. I don't have 600 hours on one character, but my Shep is still my Shep. And, like, I will reload saves, or I used to reload saves and, like, go through and do that stuff. And I I, I do think that there is just something to be said when somebody, when, when a developer knows that their game is just really good and they build something on it. Mm-hmm versus oh god can i save this or it's just like here's a dlc and it was one side mission ten dollars and i think that that's like that those are the differences and i I think right now um i I saw a post about it where somebody was i forget what outlet but they were talking about i thought it fit really well here they were talking about how much um like mini sequels to games got chided so like uh the uncharted expansion where it was essentially just like a whole mm-hmm. game on its own and it was like a 1.5 versus or a 2.5 versus a three and um 
I, I started thinking, I was like, well, that's actually kind of like what's happening um, in the live service yeah. space. Like when you, when you think about it, cause like you're just expanding on one game, but what is the purpose of doing these large expansions that could very well be their own games? Mm-hmm. And the answer, Oh, Oh, it's like, the, what is your answer? Because I was going to tell you my answer. No, I was going to say, like, the actual answer, or the the answer from a uh, people that you hire standpoint is that you cannot get the money to do a game, a second game, so you keep a smaller development team oh, yep. to do so an expansion or a DLC. That, that's, so, yeah. Yeah, so obviously money's always a big answer, but for me, for that, is I get to play the same character. Yeah. I get to keep my I don't character. have to start over. I yeah. don't have to start over. I don't do anything. Because there's a few DLCs, like Fallout 4 has one where you just literally just travel to a new zone. And it feels weird. You took a boat. And Bethesda's known. You just take boats all the time. Yep. But you get to keep the same character. And you, you do cool. these the Shivering Isles from Oblivion. You have Far Harbor from Fallout 4. Of like You go to like what considers almost... And like Bethesda's old expansions in the '90s and early 2000s were kind of like mini game, but they were because they were full fledged like 30 hour expansions. Mm-hmm. But you kept the same character. Well, that for a more recent example wasn't that uh, how we got Spider-Man Miles Morales as a game? Yes. Wasn't that like originally a DLC, a DLC, and then they were like, "It's too big for a DLC, but it's not a sixty dollar title, so we're going to release it as a forty dollar title." Mm-hmm. Um, also, I... great game, had a lot of fun with it, but yeah, it was it was very weird because it was like. I see why this isn't a full Spider-Man game, but like also if this was released as DLC, it would be way too big. Yeah. And I I think that we're in that weird space where I think that more, more, more development teams are getting more access to do larger stories, but they're still having to deal with launch window timeframes that I think they're kind of chopping stuff up and then dividing it and going out. And I don't think that that's necessarily like a, a developer's fault. Like we've said before, like that is just a, we need a hit certain ship dates to make bottom line but i do think that that is one of the things that's facilitating it um whether or not it's good for developers i don't know and i actually want to ask some now because i am curious like hey if you are a developer on a game do you prefer to work on like one whole game or do you want to work on a game where it's like game one expansion one expansion two like what is actually or, a more beneficial mm. workforce or you get to build systems which is yeah. a lot of kind of like the big thing for me playing starfield which i've noticed which it kind of fits with the weird thing for better or worse like kate had said of like there's plenty yeah. of foundational building blocks in their systems. the systems themselves or the mechanical stuff of the game do not feel fleshed out as much mm-hmm. but the yeah. foundation to build on them is so basically like in two or three years you get the system. And I think of some of the developers we've talked about before, how they said their systems end up being very cut or dry or like, you know, like Mm -hmm. a romance system before where they didn't get to do what they want or dialogues, but where now... Why is this like this? Answer, time and money. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. but now... (laughs) Every time. But they're like, hey, you don't get the time money now, but if you build us a good enough foundation, we'll let you then develop it over time after launch in the roadmap. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's good for consumers or bad, but like as a developer now, like you will get to build your system instead of it relaunching and you're like, wow, this is... People are going to make fun of my system. Yeah, and I... I think that that's also, like, one of the other things that I, I, I think fits into this conversation. So, like, up until now, we've talked about expansions, DLCs coming into games. But what about content updates? Like, there are some massive, like, updates that are they're happening. Awesome. No, they're Level. awesome. But I'm like, that's not an update. That's a DLC. Like, well, you I mean- are... Well, I, 
like uh, when you think about it it is effectively changing how a game is played but it is usually because you're packaging in those quality of life things for mm-hmm. the systems that were like broke when you launched or really bare bones. And so I think like that is something that I think games needs overall, because when you do like quality testing is one thing, but you can only mm-hmm. you can only squash so many bugs in the process. Once your game is live, you have to have a way to update those systems in order for you know your game to kind of thrive and have longevity to it um especially if you launch with jank as bethesda usually does (laughs) yeah um and so like i i do think content updates need to be in this conversation because we get press releases for content updates and it's like oh like 800 words of just like here's what we're updating in the game i mean the funny thing we talk about no man's sky get three i think it's like minor updates and then like three or four large updates per year and one of them's usually a large content update and it's like Hmm. they're adding an entire whole alien race species to the entire game and that's just a content update but that's just how they do just to keep you engaged yeah yeah and then like fallout 76 which is coming in this later they're doing atlantic city they're giving you to play in atlantic city in a casino it's just a content update and that is their content update you do not pay for that it's just part Mm -hmm. of the update of their game and so we kind of have these games too of like some of them are paid now and some of them are just like hey if you keep playing our game we will build in for better or worse a little system of monetization but we give you the updates and stuff or a lot of the content for free. Yeah. Well, and you, I mean, you play about, you play it, you talk about it, you bring in more people to play it, you know, where it's, there is a little bit of an investment of the longer we get people playing this, the more likely they are to sell their friends on it. Um, so it's also like a little bit of marketing to do those free updates. Um, and then I'm not, and I'm not even sure how this fits in here, but there's a, I think famously in terms of the, why are you giving this away for free is like Stardew Valley where he did like whole expansions where it's like, huge chunks of the game that were not there at launch and he's like yeah i'm adding it in um just because i want to it's free enjoy it and then he after the last one he was like 1.5 is the end we're done and then he just announced 1.6 is coming um and has like more stuff that he's packing into the game and i mean that's a game that already i feel like he could be charging more for it than he is but i think it is that thing of the longevity turns into sales because you know people will play it they'll come back to it for the update play it more talk about it more sell it more yeah which kind of kind of go into that segue thing because it's funny because barbara valley because i was going to ask about so how do you guys feel about games knowing that there's going to be dlc and built in there because i'm thinking it's funny because you mentioned stardew valley fay farm kind of want and then mm-hmm. they announced like right for excuse me for launch that they're having two big dlcs coming for i believe free into yeah. the game and then like even the Pokemon stuff with support of expansions, like you all are excited to know they're going to be DLC it's, or not? Because to me, so much Pokemon, of it is I feel how like it's presented. Right, I think Pokemon for me is the weird one. I feel like y'all could be doing so much more with that game, but then again, I played it and I've learned that y'all live like that, Pokemon fans. No, I say Pokemon but... needs quality of life updates, not DLC. <laughs> right, but no, but I guess the overall question of like, are you guys? Because it's been weird for me overall. I would like to point this... out that Pokemon released that DLC that was somehow worse than the game. Yeah, it was actually broken. Re- yeah, I'm pretty sure our reviewer said he could not finish it because it kept crashing. Is that switch? But uh, moving on. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. So, to, so to answer your question, I, I do think a lot of it is how is it presented to me. 
Um, and also, does it feel like this is content that should have been in the base game that you cut so that you could sell it later? Um, I think like there have been, you know, like what the about in terms games. of it's free? What if in terms of it's free? Like Faith Farm announced their uh, DLC is gonna be free. If it's free, I feel like I I don't mind it, but it, it, then it depends on like, well, what is it that you're giving me for free? Because again, if it just feels like you launched a game to hit a deadline because money. Like, I mean, it's a bummer, but like, I don't, I'm not going to fault them for it. Cause like we talked about, these are decisions being made by not the people who are making the game. Um, I like, I think I look at like, Oh, no, go no, no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I, I look at like the Arkham games, which I think are usually pretty upfront of there's going to be DLC, but then the DLC is, you know, a separate character that you play as it's a completely separate mission set. It's, you know, three to two to four hours of gameplay. Um, and they just tell you, like, hey, we're doing this, but the base game is, it's done, it's full, it's there. Um, but yeah, I, I hadn't thought too much about the the games. Well, there's also Animal Crossing, though, which you know is going to be getting updates as it goes. Um, not just in the form of, like, the holiday release stuff, but, like, that's just how Nintendo has been doing Animal Crossing for at least the last two titles, if not more. I'm not yeah. sure how the Wii one went, but it's like, yeah, we're going to put out the game, and then we're going to add, you know, furniture sets, we're going to add neighbors, we're going to give you new options for how to do things i think it all depends on how thought out it was like and that that's just kind of where it lands for me like did you cut all this stuff from your game to release later to make launch or do you actually Mm. have a whole cohesive game that works at launch and i think that that is like the difference is like Mm -hmm. if you if you are pre-planning dlc then it makes sense. Like, I wish every company shared a road, every studio shared a roadmap when they plan to do DLC. I know why they don't, because a lot of the time you have to move a certain amount of units to get a green light for the next round if you're not coming from something that is AAA or something with an existing Mm -hmm. legacy for doing that type of stuff. But once you do announce a DLC, I think being really transparent with an audience and being like, hey, consumer, we plan to release five DLC. We don't know when they'll come out, but here is our roadmap Mm -hmm. in which these five will happen. There will also be content updates, blah, 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 blah. Like, I think that that is actually like a really important piece to keep people invested in your game because if I'm playing your game and I know that I'm going to be able to keep coming back to it, I have mm-hmm. a cycle built in to do it. Kind of like we do with Final Fantasy. Like, we haven't played in a while, but the new patch is up. Yeah. So guess what? We're getting ready to play again. Gotta go check it out. The other difference between that is I got to pay $15 a month with that player don't pay. Depending yeah. But yes, but besides that point. No, because the reason I asked too, because I have been like looking at, I mean, kind of the games that I play in general, whether it's a Bethesda game, I kind of know. But like, I think of the difference of like, for like a Paradox type game where I know they're going to be supported, like City Skylines mm-hmm. will be out later in this year. City Skylines 1 had almost 10 years of support and it was great. And they kept adding content up until last year. Um, a lot of it's paid, which is fine. But it's usually like a 5 and $10 thing, which I guess for me doesn't bother me depending on what it is. But, like, Age of Wonders yeah. released this year. They already have two DLCs coming out. They have one already out. They have another one planned for the end of the year and another one coming. And I don't I don't know if it's good or bad, um, but I, I kind of excited for them, and I kind of know what I'm getting into. So I guess it's kind of like you all said, of like, I know what I'm walking into. Um, but yeah. I feel like there's been a few games. 
I think Assassin's Creed been the big one in some of those types of games. Mm-hmm. Like I got a war where I feel like those DLC, like the post main story DLCs, have been very bad despite being open world. Because I'm like, I don't know what you all are doing. You've added weird missions. I don't know where our story's going. Mm-hmm. The answer, the, the the thing is, is are you doing this? Are this being adding expansions and DLCs mm-hmm. to enrich a story? Or are you doing this to keep a game a game alive that would have been dead? And I think that those yeah. are two very different things because there is intent there. And I do think consumers are smart enough to understand when there are issues propping up and these things aren't being de- delivered with the former. It's, I mean, yeah, so much of it comes down to corporate philosophy. Yeah. Um, I know, like, uh, I think it was, like, the first time that Nintendo ever announced first-party DLC like hey we made a mario game and there's dlc they were very upfront of like to be clear like we want to lay it straight the team finished the game before we ever looked at doing dlc yeah you know like where they were like we're not against doing dlc but you need to finish the game and have like a cohesive idea completed and And, you know not like oh we're gonna do this to prop it up because it's dying it's like no we like we did what we wanted but we want more yeah and i do think that there's also like a difference there too like where it's like hey like this thing became a hit we can't expand it we want to expand it or like hey we're a small indie studio or we're a smaller studio it's actually mm-hmm. easier for us to add on to this game that we've built already than to yep. release a brand new game because of how much funding development cycles like that kind of stuff and i think that's a wholly different situation but then i also think that there is an element to this where it very much feels like all like all of the multiplayers pivot to battle royales everything had to be a battle mm-hmm. royale everything had to come out and like have some sort of drop in feature because they were trying to ride that high in that trend and i do think that some games are releasing dlcs and expansions under the directive to try and ride that trend hmm. yeah. i think the weird thing for me about riding the thing is it's almost weird of like at this point when I look at some of this, like, are you selling me your like? Because people only talk about the story, the story, story. For me, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Depending on the game, I'm not like I said, I don't care about the YouTube games or the cinematic movie games. I think they're terrible most of the time. Just go watch a damn movie. But the point being, of are you selling me on your world and what you're doing and how much more you can bring to your world, which is kind of mm-hmm. two different things. Which is kind of the game when I think about this of like, even like whether we it, whether it's an RTS or it's basically kind of a single-player open-world game, which is funny because those are two vastly different games, but in they, they both sell the same concept of, like, I bring up Anno that I played so much with all the DLC. They expanded their worlds and what you can do within the worlds. You know, the open-world games, they give you either new locations, new people, new dialogues. They're expanding on the same concept of the world. And I think this is what fascinates to me of, like, I can experience this and I don't have to start over and, like, replay it because I don't even like watching re-movies. I just keep the same characters. I don't have to worry about learning new stuff or having, I guess as an avid sports player, which is funny, we haven't talked about that yet, of like having to relearn dumb gimmicky I was waiting for you to bring money. that yeah. one up. Which we um, I think I was going to have it towards the end. I was going to have it towards the end when I was going to ask about sequels, but for the last part, but yes. Things like, that yeah. should be live service, but aren't. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess kind of as we kind of that, uh, I did want to ask, I guess, could we kind of brought the, the big question, I guess, for me, <clears throat> and I guess when it comes to these types of games, I kind of go back to the beginning. Would you all rather have a Starfield knowing you're going to get five to 10 years of support, content updates and DLC, or would you rather have Cyberpunk 27 or two or 2087 
or something where it's kind of the same game, but it's just a sequel. I I think I would want sequels, to be honest, um, only because I have... Don't give me that look. You asked my opinion. I'm going to give it. I, you, you're more than I, welcome to have your wrong opinion. That's my fine. opinion is my opinion, and you don't got to play what I play, sir, obviously. Um, no, I think for me is like I don't... I have a hard time, especially with really big story-driven games, or games where it's going in the story, and I guess, like, Matt's talking about world, whatever. I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily, like, I'm not going to go back to that same character. Like, it it, it takes a very special game for me to invest. I, I, the fact, the only game I have continually returned to after leaving, that it was the same character, my Mass Effect playthroughs, Mm -hmm. and... Final Fantasy 14. I, okay. I I don't like I I just don't come back to games once I leave them. So for me, yeah. it works better to have a natural end point if you're going to just keep doing it. Like I will come back and play DLC, but it has to have a like an end point. So the the like the wide open worlds for me like consistently getting that upkeep um in a single player game like Starfield um it's not for me. I would rather just have a part two. So, Alex, before you answer, I do have a question for Kate. What yep. about, I guess, would you rather than have a new, like, City Skylines 2 or, like, City Skyline 3? Or would you rather have those built on? Or how's those feel? Because those are kind of the same principle, but different games. I think it depends. Like, so I think when you look at a management sim, it is a little bit different or anything that is strategy and tactics based because like as you build out, and I think Anno was a really good example of this, and I'm sure City Skylines has the same issues, is as you build out your systems and as you do quality of life, your game to an extent starts to collapse in on itself because you've added too Hmm. much and it is hard to continue games that you had previously and it's hard to keep adapting and keep going in that same playthrough for it and there is a point where like if you get too much into one spot the systems do become too much for each other in my opinion at least so i think they're good to a point but you do have to have a stopping point to move on to the next whether that's civ (laughs) anno city skylines or anything like that like there does have to be a break Um, I do think that because those games have natural ways to build on systems, those should have a longer shelf life than your individual single single player game. Um, Yeah. And well, I think to your point, for me, part of it is with, with that in terms of like which is better based on genre is what is the experience for somebody who did not play the game as it came out? Yeah. Because if it is just a completely clunky mess for someone who came in two years into the life cycle where it's like borderline unplayable, like that sucks. I'm not a big fan of that. Um, You know, it's, and that, although that's also, you know, game design strength of like, well, how naturally are these elements introduced as someone goes through a playthrough? Uh, I, I think there's also something to be said too about, the idea of like, well, that was the best version of the game is something that you risk with a lot of this, like keeping a game going for years. Um, I know like I left Overwatch for a year and I came back to it and I was like, oh, I hate this now. Like it, the the meta had drifted so significantly and, and things had been shifted around so much that I was like, I'm not enjoying this game. It's not the Overwatch I played. If I say I like Overwatch, I mean specifically this one year and these certain months. Um but to to answer the question more specifically of like which would I prefer, 
I think it, you know, it's very hit or miss. I think I'm a little bit with Kate and a little bit with Matt on this. I think it is games that have more narrative strength and that benefit from being a a concise story. Those are the games that should be getting sequels, not expansions. Yeah. So the funny thing is we have not talked about MOBAs and everything in the meta type stuff of, cause I didn't want to touch on that, but that is another thing of the amount of games like League of Legends and Smite and... Well, so this is the thing. Care, I think your question... have changed, no. changed metas and seasons and I'm like, oh, I'm out. It's terrible. <laughs> but this is the thing. Yep. This is the thing. I think wholeheartedly this question and this style can't be attributed to every type of game type. It is very oh, specific. And I think multiplayer games are what benefit the most from consistent service and building on one thing because moving over a player base in a multiplayer concept is very hard. And that's why Overwatch 2 completely failed. Yes. Which also there was no reason for the game, which we learned was not. But no, which is kind of why I want to talk about this topic as well because as much as we're talking about like things of like the MMO type multiplayer, this is literally happening more with single player type games. Yeah. You know, and or, you know, kind of like a co-op, like we talked about Anno, but with most people play it single player anyways, but you know, more of a single player or Civ or something. A lot of those are single player, but you can play with some people, but it's not like, you know, it's, yeah. Well, I think we also, something to, to go back to the question before this is what do we do with games that had DLC or expansions that were planned and then it got scrapped? Yeah. Anthem being, I think, the prime example of this. Oh, gosh. Like, that was supposed to have a game-saving, like, we're going to fix our reputation and the game in one fell swoop. Uh, And they just decided, like, actually, it's not worth the effort. Literally, on paper, we're not doing it. Well, sometimes you got to make money, sadly. (laughs) That's all. Anthem was very bad. Um, I mean, to be fair, I think Cyberpunk you could probably throw in there because as much as it turned it around so I'm pretty sure there was more than just a single thing. Yeah, I think I think they cut planned. it to go out on a high and to get the bad taste yep. out of everybody's mouth. That that's Which is honestly... kinda why I brought that up with this too, of like I'd been thinking a lot about Starfield, playing a lot of Starfield, and obviously it went on to Fallout and playing another game that is not out yet, which also I know will be getting updates and stuff too, technically. But mm-hmm. from there and then kind of thinking of like, oh well, this game's just done that's weird yeah i guess kind of to finally get to the like the last part where we can get our uh, mm-hmm. like obviously we we there's clearly games we don't need a uh, sequel for um nope there's in sports games which is kind of the funniest thing to me of the weirdest thing out of all the live service conversation for the last like five to ten years people have been asking for quote-unquote live service sports games for like 30 years at this point that's the only genre yeah. we've been wanting. We've even taken by yearly, maybe once every, maybe every four years, three years. We do not need one every well, it's single you, year. You designed a system to let people play football on an Xbox. You don't need to re-release that system every year. Yeah, yeah, no. Making dumb changes and making well, it worse or thing. better and the it's re- just dumb. Re- that's the reason why they always like people are mad at those franchises because nothing is substantially better than the last one and nothing can be substantially better than the last one. And the games are increasingly expensive. Yeah. Like, like especially, so this is the thing people get mad at EAs and the two K's when it comes to all the microtransactions, because it's not justifiable when you're making somebody buy a new game every year. But if you launched one game and updated the rosters and maintained it as a live service, you can run all the microtransactions that you want. Oh, yeah. Because people understand they only pay... Make the rosters a microtransaction. Yes! 
five I bucks for the twenty twenty four lineup. I'd yeah. pay twenty dollars. I wouldn't care for new rosters. And to, and I think the thing is we've seen the technology now. And I guess for me now that we've seen these expansive, like as much as we're talking about DLCs adding new content and new stuff, they're overhauling mechanics yeah, now. They are and like overhauling yeah. systems. And so for me, now that I know that, like, before it was like, hey, we gave you a new island, go play on a new island. We gave you some new quests, some new characters. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, no, 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 no. We overhauled the combat system. We redid skill trees. You know, yeah. we did this. So I'm like, sports mm-hmm. games, what are you doing? We know you can overhaul the actual, you know, mechanics and systems of your game now. You Give me a sports game it. with a skill tree. Uh, FIFA also, technically has a lot of them have one now. It? If you do a my player, oh, that's fun. If you do a my player, yes. It's I, dumb, I was yes. gonna say though, if you want anything like EA's games, not sports games, not being live service, are the dumbest thing to me because there are still people playing that last NCAA game, and they would stay with these games that long. And there is proof of concept right there, and like manually making their own player up roster updates and stuff. So like, one, well, we were always gonna get a player update too. We've already invested and looked into this. The problem is to play with all the updates that they've added to NCAA 14, you have to run it and mod it on a PC-type version with your own type of mm. support, which is way more complicated than me and my friends know how to do, which is the main reason why we're not playing NCAA 14 anymore because the defense is terrible in that yeah. version. Which is also the thing of, like, each version is different. And you know how bad it is when one of the versions suck? Oh, yeah. Where you, I mean, again, like, we talked about this before recording. Like, you can Google, like, well, what are the good years for Madden? And, like, you will find forums of people explaining which years to avoid. And, like, this the is the, the Holy Grail version. That answer in 2005 with Ray Lewis. Yeah. Um, also, it's only very tangentially related to this, but I just want to speak it into the universe. I would love to see Rock Band come back as a subscription-based game. I think they tried, but technically Guitar Hero tried, but then they Guitar Hero never... Live tried, and honestly, Guitar Hero Live didn't have a bad model for it, but it everyone hated the controller. Yeah, that's why we kind of quit playing, because I hated the controller. I understand why they made the choice to try to make it easy, but I wasn't there because I wanted different controls. I was there because yeah. I wanted new music. Yeah, if I could if I could do some sort of weird rock band Spotify partnership and just like, I don't know, like play almost anything that's on there, like that would be killer. That would be absolutely a game that's like don't do rock band 2 don't do rock band beatles edition just keep releasing ver- like expansions to rock band i've spent over 400 dollars between guitar hero and rock band over my entire lifetime of dlc mm-hmm. of different music i didn't really care that the that the controller didn't change or they were the same controller for both games or anything i was there because yep. of different songs yeah trying to that's reinvent the controller was one of the most bonkers choices they could have made but no, I, I obviously I think we'll still get sequels. I just yeah. found this interesting as we're getting different game dev. It's one, a, it getting, is a good question. And like, I think and it's kind of the fair question. We're now getting eight-year dev cycles. Mm-hmm. At this point, why would I want to spend eight years developing a game that's going to be done in three months? Mm-hmm. I don't know if Kate, you feel like that's a weird thing, but it feels a lot of time. No, I mean, I think anymore. I think the thing is, is like with a, like I I think the longer development cycles in Starfield is a really good example for that you will have the dated elements of gameplay that have just been passed by the recent launches that have come out. And when you are going to have a, I think whenever you do a long-term development cycle game, like something that is going to be in there Mm -hmm. from five to 10 years, you either have to run betas or alphas to have people invested in playing and tweaking as you go so that you run with a pretty good system at launch. Uh, Hot, horny game. 
Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate? Yes. Well, Which ran three. People seem to forget that that was yeah. in early access for three years. Yeah, Baldur's Gate. Um, that is one way. Or you need to plan a roadmap to fix some of the things that you do recognize are going to be out of date once you launch. Um, because a longer development cycle means that you are going to be developing potentially for the last console. Or you're going to be developing for old ways of play that are no longer the standard. Yeah, I will say about Starfield, which anybody talk about, that was the first game that mm-hmm. I played that I can feel that it had an eight-year development cycle. There's just some stuff in there that you're like, oh, wow, this would have been cool in 2018, in 2019. Like, it is, it is, there's very systems in there that you're like, this feels just generated. I don't know why the hell there's no maps, but there's other stuff in there. But, I mean, Baldur's Gate's another yeah. game. Like, do we need a Baldur's Gate 4 eventually, or how much do you want to keep building on that game? I mean, it's been like 10 hours. years since Baldur's Gate 2, right? Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. Baldur's Gate, just by virtue of being virtual D&D, is kind of prime for just getting expansions over a sequel. Like, maybe do a sequel in 10 years when there's a new version of D&D that you want to mirror. It's kind of funny, because, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. We won't see... Like, what, Elder Scrolls Six has been at 10 mm-hmm. plus years. We probably won't see a fallout for almost 15 to 20 years. Starfield, what, we'll get 25 years at this point. So, I mean, if that's your dev cycle plus your thing, like, why not make your games last 10 years, I guess? For better yeah. or worse. No, it is that. actually crazy to think about that, like, with the long development cycles, and I would, and so long development cycles, and I would argue the longevity that games have now, like, I may be done gaming as a gamer by the time new sequels come out and stuff, yeah. which is yeah. an interesting concept to just think of. Like I said, I much guess. as I mean, yeah, I mean, like I said, much as we talk about Bethesda, City Skylines is around the corner, and that City Skylines one had almost ten years of like stuff, and so I don't expect to see another one for another ten years. Surviving Mars, which is also Paradox Games, gotten almost eight years at this point. Like, it's a lot. And obviously, those are two different genres. And obviously, I think some of these brand. I mean, because I think Victoria Three from last year, it had been almost fifteen years since Victoria Two. Like, it's been wild when you think of some of these larger RTS games that people don't really know as well, but they're also very popular. But then, like, very niche circles of like. It's been like 10, 15, like Heart of Irons, like four or something like that. Still be going on like 10 years or something mm-hmm. weird. Like, what was it? The Emp- King of, what the, what the hell was the other one that came out? Emperors or Roman Kings of Empires? What the hell? Age of that? Empires, too. Age of Empires or something. Oh, like yeah. What was the one that you could like eat your king or something or your brother? That one at least last year. What? I Pentiment? don't know what you're talking about. Gosh, what was it? I think it's Chivalry, maybe, or something. Oh, what Chivalry? No. That was a game, I think. No, I know. What was the... Crusader King 3. Okay, yes, that is... Like, Crusader King 1 came out in 2004. Oh, wow, yeah. So just now getting a third. And the second one was 2012. So, yeah, they've been releasing once every, like, 8 to 10 years. Yeah, I I mean, I feel like I'm just good being a, a patient gamer when a game requires a sequel and... I'm cool going along for the ride when a game is going to benefit more from like constant updates. Yeah, I guess for me, it's just been weird. And why? Because I'm about a thing of like, I keep thinking about the games that I have been playing the last few years and I game a lot of hours, but I don't play a lot of games. And it's cool because we're getting quote unquote like new games. But I just haven't really been playing new games because all the games I play are constantly being updated. I say they're still 
it's still technically sort you're playing a new part of an old game yeah like whether it's no man's sky whether it's anno whether at this point starfield or even fallout 4 because funny Mm -hmm. i went to my xbox and realized i already had all the bethesda games already downloaded on there because that's something i've been i usually played at least once a year you know an anno for years and hours and it's like i'm getting 500 600 700 hours me getting 30 hours of a game like you're you're what's wrong with you i don't need that i need 100 200 in it's just been weird of thinking as the years go by of like there's so many games I want to play and I just I probably should branch out, but I have like yeah. five or six I can just keep playing and they always feel fresh because there's always content that I have not done. I mean, this also feeds back to the idea of like, I don't know, the, the corporate greed of it of like, is it actually financially beneficial to have it to have someone who plays five games that came out 10 years ago and isn't I mean, buying new stuff? I mean, no, that's why we start the whole Skyrim on 20 consoles. But I think now companies like with that, they're now realizing this are now trying to build into their structures of their games. Like a paradox or building in structures into their game to accommodate the five people playing their games for thousands of hours, playing their game for five years plus. Yeah, it's all interesting at the end of the day. I think that there are a lot of different things happening and going on that I'm not sure I think there are large ripple effects going through. I also think all of these layoffs are going to cause even more ripple effects when it comes to longevity of games and development cycles, and we're just going to have to, like, write it out and see where it goes, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, we don't even know what it'd be like. Hey, hey, man, you're not just developing a game for eight years. You're not working on it post-launch for eight years. And, I mean, that's just weird to think about. Like, I know WoW went through some of that stuff. Like, a lot of the actual MMOs have already been kind of dealing with that over the last, like, five years or so of, like, how do I keep my game fresh? How do I not just reinvent the wheel? You know, how do I want where people are like, man, i just been working on this game for 20 years and cool, but, like, mm-hmm. I'm just tired or I want to I wanna go well, make a even, different type of game. even from, like, a, develop, like a developer standpoint, too, is, like, like there there's more safety in working at a codev studio but another one of the reasons people are going to codev studios more and more is because you get the ability to have multiple credits to your name versus i worked on Mm. this game that was redacted for eight years because of the development cycle and i have nothing i can put on my resume for it because they laid me off before the game launched which is another thing happening Right. No, but I mean, outside of just even the terrible work conditions and all the other stuff, but it's just general of like some people just want to do different things after a while. And so I think it is just interesting yeah. to see. Because like even the perfect conditions of all of them at 10 years, like, are you still excited to do that every day? 15 years? Yeah. I mean, we have WoW Classic. Literally, they went back and just reinvented the entire game, which is weird. But still, yeah. Uh, but no, I think, obviously, I think there's both a front-end and a back-end stuff, and I think, obviously, it's just been interesting to see both one as a consumer of how we think, and then, obviously, how it will end up being affected in general, but just these cycles of games, whether it is development, what we consider a launch, <laughs> and then a roadmap and post-launch. So we're talking, at this point, you know, potentially up anywhere mm-hmm. up to 15, if not 20 years in some games. Which, to Kate's point, like, this might be this will probably be the last elder scrolls we will probably get to play depending on what happens of everything oh yeah i don't know if we will get to other stuff like baldur's gate 4 maybe depending on what they do like because yeah. the funny thing about the and i guess it's the weird thing with this the kind of close out thing with the cyberpunk 27 i saw what they did to witcher 3 and how much they did with that game and so the fact that they closed this one very thing was kind of weird to me 
Yeah, th- I think that was kind of what surprised me the most with them closing it was like you guys just had a game that got a good number of DLCs and expansions, and then this one you're like, we're gonna do one, we're gonna get out of here. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know it's yeah, it's all very interesting and and good to think about and consider, especially like not just as people who you know like games and and support game developers, but as people who play games and who are also adults with limited time and availability and having to kind of pick and choose what we want to play. Like, I know plenty of people who are, they see a game and they're like, that looks super fun. I'm never going to touch it because that will be my next eight months of gaming. And there's other things I want to do. Yep. Uh, But yeah, I think that does it for this week. So thank you guys for joining me. Thanks for uh, talking about this. Matt, thank you for the idea to begin with. uh, Do you have any media or articles that you want to recommend people check out? So two things in the television space. Go watch Castlevania Nocturne. It's amazing. It's really good. Uh, I have character deep dives, reviews, and an interview with Sam and Adam Dietz up on butwhytho.net. So it's complimentary coverage to go with your watch through. It is a fantastic series that I really, really love. And then for games, I need to tell people to go play the Lamplighters League. It's so good. Mm. Uh, It's a Paradox game uh, from, I believe, Harebrain Studios are the developers. Paradox is the publisher. Um, It is a love letter to old Hollywood adventure films, the 1930s, and all of those pieces. A little bit of real real-time strategy, a little bit of tactics, and uh, mm-hmm. or turn-based tactics, and a whole lot of fun if you love adventure and, like, those types of archetypes. Uh, I love it. You should play it. It's on Steam and Xbox Game Pass, so, like, you can go play it on cool. Game Pass for free, which is good. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Matt, do you have anything? Funny thing is, one, Lamplighters League was a game that I was checked out, but uh, also didn't have time for. We were like, cool, but we were passing on, speaking of how to kind of mm-hmm. go to the funny thing. Um, uh, I do not have anything that I can talk about by the time this episode releases. Just listen to this episode and check out things for after go that. Go play Paradox my stuff, games. Yeah, go play Paradox games, I guess, for the next month, because they're all coming out this month. Excellent. Uh, I think for me, I picked up and started reading the horror anthology Out There Screaming, uh, I think curated by Jordan Peele, uh, featuring 19 uh, different black authors um, just sharing new horror stories. Um, And so far, it's been really good. Sweet. Yep. Uh, So if you guys liked what you heard here, if you enjoyed the episode, enjoyed the conversation, uh, or maybe if it just like riled you up and made you think about things... um, (laughs) We're basically everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Twitch. Uh, we have a Discord. All of that. Like, come talk to us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, I won't say that we'd love to fight you. I feel like I said that once and it became a thing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just go ahead, like, subscribe, retweet, review. All that stuff is super helpful for the site. If you really, really want to help us, you can kick us some money on Patreon. Um, and that goes to keeping the site running, keeping the podcast going. Um, and helping us to make good content and make good connections and do more things with everything. Um, you can find me on Twitter at most always Alex. Uh, Kate, where can they find I'm you? I'm just going to say like, subscribe, and fight me um, to end everything now. Um, you can find me on what the artist formerly known as Twitter uh, at OhMamethRandier on, on Instagram as well. All right. And Matt, do you want to be found? No, because, I mean, you probably can't even see if you tried to find me on 
artist formerly known as Twitter because my account's just terrible. Did you get banned? Get no, banned but like, no, I didn't get shadow banned. Just the way it's set up, it's designed to kill accounts like mine. You know what? Gotcha. Go D-backs. <laughs> we hate to fight the Dodgers. I'm out. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time.